This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity. People Pleasing Part 1 The Lies About Making Others Happy Self-development is a higher duty than self-sacrifice. That's a quote from Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Bullshit belief number one. Others benefit from my self-sacrifice. The foundation of the people-pleasing belief system is the idea that others can and do benefit from our self-sacrifice. The suffering we endure when we put the needs of others ahead of our own. Nearly every day we tell ourselves the story. We come to the conclusion that through our people-pleasing we are doing good in the world because it hurts to do. Therefore our actions are justified and our intentions must be pure, even if it means being dishonest. Ah, if only that were true. But it is not. My original enthusiasm for self-sacrifice was challenged by a specific incident. I was on a plane and the crew were carrying out the standard safety briefing that I usually ignore. As they blathered on about laughably optimistic crash survival positions, one particular line caught my attention. Although I had heard it many times before, this time, perhaps due to the self-development work I was engaged in, it hit home and created a new insight for me. The line I'm referring to is the bit about what to do when the oxygen masks descend for the passengers. Make sure to secure your own mask before helping the child next to you. This time, for some reason, it really caught my attention. At first I felt almost offended, even insulted, by the idea that someone would be so narcissistic that they'd take care of themselves before helping a poor, defenseless and vulnerable child. How dare they demand that I act with such ruthless selfishness. That was my first reaction. And I was confused as to why this had bothered me so much. Why was I feeling so defensive? Why did I even notice them saying it? So for the first time ever, I attempted to understand the airline's reasoning behind giving this instruction to be selfish, and I was surprised to discover that it immediately made complete sense. If the cabin is deprived of oxygen, we could suffocate, pass out, and eventually die. The suffocation part occurs almost immediately, so it's important to secure your oxygen mask as quickly as possible. Now, if someone sitting next to you were to pass out, you've still got a chance of saving them so long as you can still breathe. And that's the point. If you are fucking around trying to get a mask onto a panicking child when you're not even breathing yourself, the most likely outcome is that you both pass out and die. Have you ever tried to get a pair of trousers onto a resistant child? That's a walk in the park compared to getting an oxygen mask onto a kid who's screaming, panicking and suffocating in an upside down plane filled with smoke and reeking of terror. You'd pass out trying to get their mask on because you're also suffocating and then there's no one left to help either of you. This oxygen mask dilemma is the most accurate analogy I can think of to describe the tragedy of people pleasing. We ignore our own need for oxygen, struggling in our suffocation while trying to be seen as a hero for saving others. In a semi-conscious way, we often do realise this is the case because we're always exhausted, stressed and procrastinating on our own self-care and shaming ourselves with dishonesty, but we convince ourselves that this is noble, that we're helping the other passengers in our lives. Many people-pleasers believe that helping other people must somehow hurt for it to qualify as being helpful, 
hence our love for self-sacrifice. And how this mostly manifests is through dishonesty. We sacrifice our need for expressing the truth and releasing our honest thoughts and feelings. We suffocate ourselves so that others don't have to feel uncomfortable. Let's say you're moving into a new house. As a people pleaser, I jump at the chance to be of service, and so I insist on helping in a self-sacrificial way. Deep down, I don't genuinely want to heave someone else's crap around on a warm Saturday morning, and I don't really have the extra time or energy available, but I would consider myself selfish if I didn't help. And offering to help isn't good enough. I actually insist on helping. I won't even let you say no. I'll be there to move house with you whether you want me to or not. I won't allow you to deny me the opportunity to get high on your approval and secure my good reputation. Whoops, um, I mean to selflessly help you out of pure kindness, of course. As a people pleaser, I used to communicate my needs indirectly and assumed that this was how everyone communicated their desires. So if someone mentioned that they were moving house, I would interpret that as them secretly asking for help. I was too scared to directly ask for what I wanted and so I thought everyone else was too. I would unwittingly put people under pressure to let me help them, even though they never asked for it. And of course, since I did this all the time, I was helping everyone in my life simultaneously, so I'd get totally burned out. Although the people in my life could clearly see what was going on with me and wished that I would just take some time to chill out, I would never let anyone decline my help. Something like moving house would become a guilty experience for those people because they could see that the extra work was contributing to my suffering, but I wouldn't let them prevent my suffering. I was exhausted from asking for extra work, and yet I would subconsciously resent people for adding to my workload. Finally, after the tasks were completed, I would then get upset with people for not showing enough appreciation and recognition. All the while, the people in my life felt guilty, pressured, and obligated to return the favour. I suffocated them while suffocating myself. Who wins in these situations? Who benefits? No one. People-pleasing is like a panicky passenger trying to force a mask on you when the plane isn't even going to crash. It's invasive, unhelpful, and ultimately leads to everyone suffering. Sure, sometimes people are indirectly asking for help, And they often do get an easier life from your assistance in the short term. But does that mean you should enable them? Most of the time, all you will end up doing is feeding their dependency on others. You will prevent them from figuring shit out for themselves, or at the very least learning to be direct about what they want. Another great example happened to me recently. I was at a gardening store buying some weed killer and tools. It was a great opportunity for me to practice my new Czech language skills, and I had psyched myself up for the attempt. Trying my best, I asked for assistance and described what I wanted. One of the store clerks picked up on my struggle and then automatically switched to English. I know she was trying to be helpful, but her people-pleasing behavior deprived me of the opportunity to develop my Czech skills. No matter how many times I insisted on speaking Czech, she insisted on responding in English. She had no real interest in figuring out what I actually needed. She was just obsessed with making me more comfortable, and in doing so she removed my ability to grow. Self-sacrifice also commonly leads to another ironic situation, one that significantly puts into question your people-pleaser belief that others benefit from you sacrificing yourself. The problem of hurting those we love the most. 
Many people-pleasers treat total strangers better than their own family members and friends because they only feel safe to release their frustrations, from sacrificing themselves, around people with whom they feel safe. In other words, people who won't abandon them. Let's look at Carrie, a former client of mine, as an example. Carrie was the perfect employee, with strong people-pleasing compulsions and dishonesty patterns. She would bend over backwards to support her boss and teammates. It got to the point where even if she was overloaded with extra work, she'd still be unable to say no to more. She felt like she was being taken advantage of, and she'd beat herself up for allowing this bullying behaviour from her colleagues, yet she'd simultaneously encourage and enable it. She consoled herself with the idea that she was, at least, a good person. This good person was nowhere to be seen, however, once Carrie got home from work. The rules would change instantly. The moment she was through the front door, Carrie would become grumpy, unpredictable, easily provoked to anger, and domineering. Her husband and daughter lived in constant fear of her demands and outrageous mood swings. This model employee people-pleaser would transform herself into a tyrant at home. She was a real-life Jekyll and Hyde. Carrie hated herself for this, but felt powerless to prevent it from happening. All the resentment she built up during the day, from hurting herself to help others, would come pouring out around the ones she loved, even though she knew in her heart that they had done nothing to deserve such treatment and were the ones she least wanted to hurt. All her outrage was only directed at them because she knew, subconsciously, that they would not abandon her. They were paying the price for her workplace people-pleasing simply because they were loving and loyal. As we worked together, Carrie came to realize that neither the good person people-pleaser nor the domineering tyrant were true representations of herself, of her values and authentic desires. This whole identity battle was a diseased loop, where the good person and the tyrant were reactive symptoms of each other. The people-pleasing was to avoid losing love at work, and the tyranny was a stress reaction to the pressure and self-loathing that came from the dishonesty and people-pleasing behavior. This cycle created a crippling fear of losing love, a poisonous paranoia that had nothing at all to do with her true values of kindness, courage, and respect. Simply put, her good person identity prevented her from being accurately honest, so she just ended up swinging from one fictional identity to another. Carrie's case accurately represents many people-pleasers in that often they're nicer to complete strangers than they are to the people they love the most, yet they'll tell you their loved ones are a top priority. In other words, they lie to themselves and others about their true behaviour. If Carrie genuinely wanted to please people, it should have continued within her home life without a single deviation, and her family and everyone else would have received the same treatment. There'd be no build-up of anger and resentment, no self-loathing or doubt, just a joy at being herself. Her secret mood swings, cruelty, and self-hatred proved that the behavior she engaged in with strangers and work colleagues was fake, and this fakeness placed a psychological burden on her that was bound to burst out as soon as she felt that she was safe to release the beast. Nobody wins from this dishonest approach. Solution Would you like to help people? Great. Do them a favor. Ensure that the help they receive from you is genuine, beneficial, and of high quality. How do you ensure this? Make sure you always A. Take care of your own needs first. B. Be honest. Check in with yourself to make sure that you are genuinely interested in doing the work. And C. Ask permission to help 
never forcing it on anyone. If I want to help you move house, first I need to make sure that you actually want my help, and that I'm in a willing and healthy state to offer you my help. Then I need to say no to all the other people I had offered to help, so that I can create a space for you, and I also need to make some time for myself to relax and rest, both before and after the move. That's what a truly generous and confident person would do. Self-sacrifice is just a needy, approval-seeking behavior, nothing more. You must respect yourself before helping others. Bullshit belief number two. It's good to make other people happy. We tend to categorize emotions as being either positive or negative, without much nuance. People-pleasers believe you should always feel good, which usually means happy, calm, excited, but not too excited, sociable, satisfied, entertained, easygoing, or other physically pleasurable sensations, particularly emotions that make others feel comfortable. Otherwise, you will suffer the pain and shame of feeling bad, which usually includes anger, sadness, confusion, depression, fear, boredom, embarrassment, tiredness, anxiety, frustration, stress, awkwardness, or just feeling a bit antisocial. People-pleasers are massively judgmental about emotions, and about the people experiencing those emotions, though we often won't admit it, not even to ourselves. And of course, when it comes to being seen as weak for experiencing the bad emotions, we reserve the harshest judgment for ourselves. We people-pleasers figure that it is our job, nay, our duty, to steer ourselves and those around us towards the good range of emotions at any cost necessary. It doesn't matter if we must be fake, manipulative, or even cruel to make it happen, so long as everyone ends up feeling good. A people-pleaser is unable to just stand by and allow someone to be upset, bored, or miserable. Our judgmental nature kicks into overdrive and we end up herding that person like a sheep back into the happiness pen. And when we are the ones feeling down, we will berate, punish, and pressure ourselves into a false expression of happiness, keeping a fake smile plastered on our face, until we eventually crash into a crippling depression or chronic anxiety. In my people-pleasing days, to make people happy, I used humour, rational arguments, and distraction. If someone was feeling down or bored, my secret weapon was to make them laugh. In my mind, I called this cheering them up so it didn't feel manipulative. I could make people laugh at almost any time, I just knew which buttons to push. But if I couldn't make them laugh, my backup plan was to convince them to be happy. I would argue, give advice, and generally force-feed them my perspectives and philosophy until I was able to change their outlook back to a happy one. And finally, if none of that worked, I distracted them. I used gossip, diversions, entertaining stories, and activity changes to keep their mind off whatever bothered them. People-pleasers need to ask themselves a few key questions here. I want you to take the time to consider the answers to these carefully. Why do you believe that emotions should be categorized as good and bad, rather than just as normal human emotions? Who gave you the authority to decide what emotions others are or are not allowed to experience? Why do you feel obliged to control the way other people feel? Why do you automatically assume that pain is bad? 
What do you gain from punishing and suppressing yourself when experiencing the bad emotions? As I discussed in detail in the first book of this trilogy, Nothing to Lose, all emotions have a helpful role to play in our lives, and they must all be felt in order to create overall psychological well-being and integrity. You can't grieve for your loss without the ache of sadness. You can't identify and stand up for what you believe in without the power of anger. You can't seek new answers and learn without first being willing to experience the sensation of being lost, what we call confusion. All of our emotions are necessary to create a rich and meaningful life, and even if they aren't, experiencing them is inevitable, so we'd better figure out how to get used to them. So when you cheer someone up or otherwise manipulate them into experiencing an emotion that you're more comfortable with, you cause them to miss out on any benefits the other emotions offer. Wouldn't it be weird to be cheerful at a funeral, or in a court case where you're being sentenced to imprisonment, or when you catch your lover cheating on you with your best friend? There is clearly some room for unhappy emotions. Emotions are there to enable us to process the struggles of life in a healthy way, and these examples are just the extreme exceptions. If you're not allowing yourself to regularly experience the full range of emotions, you're not really living. People-pleasers know they're not truly living, they can feel it, but they misguidedly conclude that this is due to not experiencing enough happiness. The truth is, happiness is probably the only emotion of which you don't need to be seeking more. People-pleasing behaviour leads to becoming emotionally repressed, and you'll eventually snap under the pressure. Sometimes it leads to binging on alcohol, drugs, sugar, or television. Sometimes it leads to depression, complete loss of motivation, or mental exhaustion. Sometimes it leads to rage tantrums or emotional pukes, exploding unreasonably and irrationally over small grievances. Sometimes it leads to self-harm, or in extreme cases, suicide. I've even come to believe that certain medical conditions, like migraines, strokes, and heart attacks, can be caused by a lifetime spent being dishonest trying to make others happy. One way or another, all this dishonest shaming of normal human emotions and our pointless attempts to control and prevent these inevitable sensations leads to an emotional apocalypse. You'll know this because you've already experienced it. Solution. Just let emotions happen and express them truthfully. If you feel sad, just be sad. The same goes for anger, confusion, anxiety, and whatever else you're uncomfortable feeling and expressing. This doesn't mean you should lash out or engage in harmful behavior. We'll cover how to express yourself powerfully and accurately in later chapters. It just means not trying to make the emotions end and not trying to speed up their cycle. Journal, go for a walk, talk to a friend, whatever helpful outlet you can find. And just as importantly, allow others to feel their emotions too. You can be there for them as they vent and express their feelings, but let it happen without trying to fix them by making them happy. Imagine that, somehow, this painful emotion will help them in the long run. Bullshit belief number three. The only other option is to be an asshole. At some point in time, almost every people pleaser considers doing a total 180 degree turnaround. I call it the pendulum swing whereby a person goes from one extreme end of a spectrum to the other. In the people-pleasing world, this means going from nice to nasty, from selfless to selfish, 
from being a people pleaser to being an asshole. I know, it's super tempting at times, particularly when you see selfishness paying out dividends for others. There's always that one guy, isn't there? That guy who is a complete dick and life just seems to pile reward after reward onto him. Completely undeserved. So at some point during those introspective times where you finally start to question being constantly nice, you consider going over to the dark side, the only alternative you can see. As a people pleaser, I was highly compartmentalized and judgmental about people. In my eyes, you were either good or bad, nice or asshole, providing value or taking it away. There was no middle ground, just various degrees of these two extremes. It is no wonder that I worked under the assumption that the only alternative to being nice was to be a complete prick, and it enraged me that those whom I categorized as bad got everything I secretly coveted. It was so unfair. Do you ever feel this way? Some people pleasers choose to experiment with engaging in the other extreme. I know I did. One day, around the age of 24, I had just had enough of being nice and decided to experiment with being an asshole. I was learning pickup at the time and had become disillusioned with the constant friend zoning, which seemed to happen whenever I was nice to girls. I couldn't see that hiding my attraction may have had something to do with it. I was bitter and resentful and looking for vengeance. So I started treating girls like shit just to see what would happen. Unfortunately, it kind of worked. But an awful turning point occurred one night when I met a girl at my local pub and all I did was take the piss out of her the entire night. I teased, offended, and disagreed with her about everything. And she came back to my house with almost no resistance at all, just like all the girls I'd ever seen in my life falling hard for the bad boys. But surprisingly, by the time we got to my bedroom, I was sick with guilt. This asshole character I was playing in no way whatsoever accurately represented my beliefs or values, and I knew it. I didn't like the act I was portraying. This me that I was acting out was not a guy I was proud to be. She was about to have sex with a fiction that I had constructed out of resentment and neediness. So I told her I didn't want sex and slept on the floor. Really. After this experiment, I felt tragically lost. Being nice didn't work, but now I knew I couldn't bring myself to be nasty either. I had tried both options and neither made my life any better. As Dr. Robert Glover says, the opposite of crazy is still crazy. I thought I was doomed to a lifetime of people-pleasing because it was simply the lesser of two dishonest evils. A few months later, while experimenting with courage-building techniques, I boldly expressed attraction directly and honestly to a random girl at a shopping mall. Her reaction blew my mind to pieces. She smiled like the sun bursting through rain clouds, and profusely thanked me for it. A paradigm shift struck me with the force of a bullet train. I had been bold, genuine, direct, sexually honest, and yet still nice. It had never before occurred to me that these different traits could coexist, because until that moment they had belonged exclusively to either the nice guy or the asshole. This was the first time I had really swung for the fence and let a girl see my true feelings and intentions right from the start. I was doing the one thing that neither nice or nasty guys ever did. I was being vulnerably honest. Somehow, I had taken the best from both worlds and discarded the unhelpful bits. I wasn't trying to people please, 
but neither was I being a prick. I was something else entirely, a powerfully honest and compassionate man that until then I didn't realise was possible. Solution Yes, the opposite to being a people pleaser is to be an asshole, but those aren't your only two options. They are the opposite ends of a manipulative spectrum that you don't need to be on, one founded on neuroticism, spite, insecurity, neediness, and dishonesty. The integrity spectrum, on the other hand, has neither of these extremes. Honesty is not synonymous with being an aggressive or dominating asshole, and people-pleasing is definitely not the same thing as being kind, generous, and compassionate. You don't have to swing like a pendulum between false niceness and nasty manipulation. You need to get off that unhealthy spectrum altogether and create a new approach, something honest and representative of your core values. Be honest about your intentions, reveal your weaknesses, be compassionate, but also stand up for yourself. Do not enable or allow harmful behavior. Allow your thoughts and beliefs to manifest accurately in your behavior while maintaining respectful boundaries. Neither people-pleasers nor assholes do all of these things. Keeping it simple summary. People-pleasing is any behavior that's designed to strategically manipulate someone into feeling an emotion that you think of as pleasurable. It requires dishonesty and hiding your true intention of getting them to think positively of you. The first lie is that other people benefit from you sacrificing yourself for them. The truth is that you impose your help on them and use self-sacrifice as a dishonest technique to control their feelings for you, for your own gain, not theirs. The second lie is that it's good to make people happy. Acting on this belief deprives them of helpful emotions and is secretly just a way for you to avoid having to experience uncomfortable emotions yourself. It's not really about helping them. And the third lie is that you're stuck being a people pleaser because the only other, more honest option is to be nasty or mean. The truth is, there's a third option, which is to be someone who is bold, honest, and non-manipulative. You can still be nice, but only when you truly mean it and when you reveal why you're doing it. Key Actions Find one thing in your life that you do solely to benefit other people, like working more hours than your work contract demands of you, and stop that behavior immediately. Don't justify it or ask for forgiveness, just stop. Spend a week just letting people feel whatever they feel. You can support them, but do not try to change the way they feel. The next time you do something nice for someone, tell them why you're really doing it. For example, because you want to have a good reputation. 